This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome in to episode number 140 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast, our Sunday, the first Sunday of December of 2022. My name is Noah Grant alongside Nick Maxson, welcoming you into the den here for what should be a pretty jam-packed episode. We've got a lot to talk about in the early portions of the show, just a lot of things going on around the hockey world, as always, but a couple of signings, a couple of really key injuries, a, a game in the National Hockey League that we saw 17 goals in, um, you know, a couple of announcers making some comments that aren't that surprising if you know who which who announcer is. were. Yeah. <clears throat> um, he, uh, yeah, never been a fan. Uh, uh, North Dakota uh, and Min- Minnesota, geez. Uh, North Dakota and Minnesota met in a battle between North Dakota and St. Cloud State in terms of states, if you want to throw it out that there, that way. I tried to save that, didn't do it. It's fine. Um, but what the Huskies did do is save uh, a couple of games here this weekend uh, against this North Dakota team who still sits seventh in the NCHC. It's fun to be a St. Cloud hockey fan. Let's just put it that way. We'll recap the men's series. Women's hockey got the job done this weekend as well, albeit a little bit of a scare on Friday night, but certainly they're sitting uh, in a really good spot moving into next week. And the Minnesota Wild have won five of their last six. We're going to talk about them uh, and see how that train is rolling and if it actually is rolling. And then finally, our extra ice session. Just a quick little blurb here because I anticipate the main portion of the show is going to take a fair amount of time. So let's have some fun. The top five college hockey logos. What do we think the best logos in college hockey are? Spoiler, I also did my top five worst, and there's a lot of letters <laughs> in that group for sure. But uh, Jeez. yeah, with that being said, uh, hopefully you'll give us an A on this one as we move to Center Ice View News and Notes and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Center Ice View News and Notes, Noah. Uh, so, We've talked about this first topic for some time now, and it, the punting continues. Um, the mm-hmm. Arizona Cardinals know what that is because their offense can't do anything on the field, so they have to punt the ball all the time. The Tempe City Council has punted the issue of mm-hmm. the voting on the new arena for the Arizona Coyotes down to essentially the voters, the, the residents. Um, so doing it so in unanimous support too which is interesting um this will be voted on may 16th 
And this will essentially decide the Coyotes' fate, not only in, I think, everybody who's followed this story for a while, their fate as an organization in the state of Arizona, but maybe in an organization, period. Uh, this is interesting. Um, so for those who haven't followed this, it's a 16,000-seat arena. Um, it's also going to encompass, I believe, a theater, um, some residential units, obviously some more commercial, I think, restaurants and everything. It's supposed to be a $2.1 billion, with a B dollar project, 1.9 of that being privately funded. I should say $1.9 billion of it, so not essentially anything on the on the taxpayers. Um, and it's being dubbed the landfill to landmark because that's been the biggest piece of controversy on this project is where this project will be. It's on a current landfill. Um, it's going to cost them an estimated $75 million if it does get approved to remove 1.5 million tons of trash from the site. Now, supposedly, there is a gambling component to this as well. Um, and some comments now. Um, we've seen just the votes from the city council. We haven't really heard a lot, but now finally some some quotes you would say. Um, one person, Doreen Garland, who was initially against it, has now uh, flipped it, and it says that she is now more comfortable with the deal, um, including Marowello's finances, which I've talked about that has been the biggest sort of overhead question mark with this entire deal is, again, 1.9 of this, 2.1 privately funded that's coming from the ownership group when months, what, 10 months ago, Noah, they couldn't even pay their rent up there at Yellow River Arena. So, um, and then to further quote this, while I've got some reservations about this being the best fit for our large, our last large chunk of land uh, that a city owned, I, it makes sense to of Tempe the opportunity to weigh in and get their vote. So, and, and speaking of weighing in, because apparently my camera is weighing in on my looks this morning, and, um, which I mean, it's just being smart. Uh, rising based on what we have essentially been seeing or where this has been trending lately. Uh, I'm curious as to whether you see this any differently than I do. Yeah, well, I wouldn't call it punting it down the road. I think it's actually a massive win here because the Tempe City Council actually voted unanimously to approve this project. The entire council actually has approved it, but they're still going to referendum on the 16th to see if the voters feel the same way they did. So actually, they vote. They all voted in favor of the project. Like this was an actual vote, at, like we talked about earlier, where we said, well, why can't they vote and make their own decision? They just did. And they just approved it, but they still want to go to a referendum to make sure that their constituents agree with their ruling, essentially, in some senses. Um, so I don't know that I would call it punting it down the road. The referendum is May 16th, and that just is what it is. But I think it is it is a step in the right direction for the city council to at least be able to say, you know, we voted on this. We've talked about it more since things have developed in June. And we we have backing behind this project as a council. Um which, you know, gives it emphatic support, obviously, uh, you know, ahead of that referendum deadline. And now it is up to the people. So uh, I don't know. I, I see it as a good thing. I really do. Uh, now, uh, because that's, you know, and you you listen to a bunch of other podcasts and news outlets, they all kind of said the same thing, where it was this vote three months ago was not a unanimous vote. And now based on developments, this vote is unanimous. And now it's, you know, being pushed towards the people. There's nothing you can do about it being voted on in May. That's just when the referendum is. But I mean, it could have been where the council voted on it and was split six to six. And you're like, whoa, like, 
uh, like there's not a whole lot of backing, but I, I think it's a step in the right direction. I'm not looking at it in the sense that it's so negative. I think it's, you know, it's another thing that pushes hopefully what should be a 30 or 40 year stay for the Arizona Coyotes in Tempe. I'm not sure I share the same positivity. Now, I, I don't think I, it's not that I'm negative about it, but my curiosity is if the city council wanted this to be done, then why even send it to the referendum? And the reason why I say that, Noah, is I get the procedural thing, but let's, let's be honest. Let's read between the lines. If the city council wanted something to happen, they didn't have to do this. They didn't have to do it at all. Um, my curiosity then stems from what does the people's perception of not only the organization and the project have? Because if you take this init- if you take this extra step for the referendum, I get it. You know, you want your your constituents, your residents to have a voice in things. So I'm not saying that the process is inherently bad, but if you are so confident that this is the right thing, then why even send it to a referendum? Where shall we say the court of public opinion is still out on the coyotes and the Marowello organization as a business enterprise. So I'm just, I'm just very, I don't know. I'm, I'm more, I'm well, the, curiously the, optimistic. The refer, well, the referendum was, you know, almost two months ago. And I think that I that's, that. I think that that's where we've gotten some clarity here on some of the additional parts of the plan. And I think that's where the city council feels more confident. So for me, I look at that and I say, they've gotten new developments or, information that has kind of led them to believe that this is more of a solid concrete plan than maybe it was even a couple months ago. So I think if anything, it's just more of a, we're moving in the right direction and we're going to see how it plays out kind of thing. Um, it doesn't like, like I said, it just, it doesn't feel like punting it down the road. It feels like, well, well, let's throw out worst case scenario. Let's say that the residents reject this plan. Then what happens? Well, that's a problem for me. You know, you can't, that's well, and what's what's think of the big picture here, Noah? Because this is why the entire process to me is no worse for where everybody in the NHL executive offices must be holding their breath on this. Because you're, I get it. The referendum is is what it is. It's a set thing that doesn't change. We get that. But in terms of where the organization sits, in terms of where the NHL sits. They want this done quicker. They need some type of resolution, whether it's positive or negative. They want they want them to figure it out, right? So my question is, if this thing does, by the residents' vote, get turned aside, and now we're already essentially, because I don't think anybody expects the Arizona to make the playoffs, right? This is going to be May. They'll be in their offseason. Then what happens, right? So I think it's more of if you're if the opportunity is there for this to be struck down, which there is, and that happens at such a later date. What now? I don't know. I'm just. I, yeah. I still feel. I still feel. I'm, I'm just not sold but, on it. But that's with anything, right? You know, like you know that that's the same sense as well. Right now they're stuck at ASU. Let's say they didn't even have an arena deal in place. We'd be asking the same question: What now? There isn't a there isn't a clear cut answer. We're just not at that point yet you know and maybe it allows them time to create a plan or the nhl to create a game plan should something like this fall through do they relocate do they stay uh at asu for five years i don't know there's no way yeah like i I said i don't know what the answer is but i just um, i see it as a what the answer is not it's not staying at asu arena yeah so i i see it as a positive 
Um, you know, hopefully we're moving in the right direction. The the city council at least seems to feel confident on it. So I guess we're going to find out what the voters feel in about six and a half months. I guess we will. Because, um, yeah, I, I, I would think that if it does get struck down, um, there will be some fast moving pieces to a relocation. I think that's where it sits. But speaking of relocating, how about reclo-ti- relocating names in the record books, right? Alex Ovechkin um, passing Wayne Gretzky for the most road goals all time with 403. Huh? So I know the big number that everybody is wanting to follow with Ovechkin is the all-time goals mark. Now, he still sits third at 793. He's uh, trailing second place Gordie Howell by eight, and then first place Gretzky by one. One again, the magic number is 894. So Ovechkin still continues to rewrite the history books in terms of goal scoring. Certainly, I think will go down as the best goal scorer yeah. the game has ever seen, no matter if he catches uh, Gretzky or not. That'll be a debate topic for a different time. Um, what isn't a debate topic is we, we, t- we teased this earlier is you know, when you're a play by play commentator, it's good to have the storytelling aspect, you can't just call the game right now you have to have these little stories you have to have these little tidbits well one announcer in particular who should have if, if there wasn't a word for homerism of the year he would win it every single year we're talking about bruins play-by-play announcer jack edwards and uh let's just say that in true shall we say trolling fashion maybe um some of his comments which were not great were turned into a positive um so for those who missed it uh jack edwards um, was talking about Patrick Maroon. Um, Tampa Bay was in town, um, and he started listing his weight of 238 pounds, and he made the mention of, you know, this was day one of training camp, and then went on to say, I've got the feeling he's eaten a few more pizzas between then and now. And then I think Edwards knew. I get the sense that he kind of figured, okay, that was maybe a little bit over the line, so he tried to save himself. And then he goes, inadvertent fasting for Pat Maroon is like four hours without a meal. But hey, Three Stanley Cups in a row. Who can argue with this formula? So I don't know. A lot of people didn't like the, you know, the comments. I certainly did not. I think it was just terribly in bad taste. Um, yeah. So the day after, Pat Maroon um, decided to turn it positive. He made a $2,000 donation uh, to a nonprofit that assists with those dealing with mental health and substance abuse issues. And then essentially the hockey community jumped aboard. Carolina, of course, uh, always willing really to jump on the bag wing and, and stuff like this put in some money. Um, that's raised over $50,000. So yeah. um, say what you want. Uh, it turned uh, negative into a positive, but the one negative Jack Edwards continues to just a couple times a year, just make me cringe with some of the things that he says. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. You go back and you look at history. Uh, the Steve Dangle podcast talked about uh, one of the players, Jack Edwards referenced uh, him as Sirhan Sirhan and then apologized. Um, for those who don't know, Sirhan Sirhan uh, was the one who I believe shot Bobby Kennedy uh, mm-hmm. way back in the day. So uh, Nick might've been there. Who knows? Uh, but you know, it's interesting. Be- it, it's interesting because uh, he just, I'm surprised that Nesson in this day and age has stuck with him, um, to be honest with you. I'm not. I mean, I get the homerism, the color analyst. Uh, I forget the name of the color. Andy analyst. Brickley. Yeah, he's not totally unpalatable. You know what I mean? Like, he, he he knows the game. He can talk through the game. It's just he kind of is in a rock and a hard place because he kind yep. of has to go along with what Jack is doing, but also kind of try to spin it in a different direction. I right. think they I think they could benefit from a new play by play voice. Their color analyst is he's like I said, I think he'd be okay with somebody who's a little more 
you know, homerism. Yeah, homerism, but like, you know, doesn't cross the line kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Jack Edwards has never been my favorite. He just, it's one, like we've talked about, it's one thing to be a homer, but be objective about the game. It's another right. thing to be a homer for the sake of acting like you're, you're in New England on your couch having a beer, but yet someone gave you a headset halfway through, right? You know, so, right. And that's, that's what Jack Edwards comes off as. Um, does it appeal to the masses in Boston? Probably, but most likely, uh, good for Pat Maroon. Good for him to just kind of turn the other cheek. And it's, it's done a lot of good uh, in the mental health yeah. and community. It does. Um, you and now are for our next topic, Noah, uh, you talk about trying to turn a negative into a positive. This was the exact approach that Bruce Boudreaux in Vancouver is hoping to do with one of his star wingers, which shall we say probably didn't do exactly what I think the Canucks want to do, or maybe they did. Who knows? Um, they scratched healthy scratch Brock Besser, the Burnsville native, right? Um, it's kind of interesting timing to 14 points in 18 contests, but only three goals. Again, this was um, a player that coming out of North Dakota uh, had a shot, right? He was supposed to be the goal scorer. He was supposed to be the guy that was putting the pucks in as uh, being assisted by uh, Elias Patterson, who I still love watching, even though he's on a terrible team. Yeah. Um, uh, two of those goals, by the way, come in the power play. So one even strength goal. Um, that's not good enough, right? So um, the reports coming out were saying that, you know, it's tough love Bruce Boudreaux is showing, but it sounds like the tough love may have been uh, broke the camel's back, shall we say, Noah? Um, it sounds like as of today, Brock Besser is currently trying to negotiate a trade with the Vancouver Canucks. Um, so I don't I don't know. Um, tw- you know, 23 goals over the previous five campaigns, which he's averaged. So he's not bad. Um, had a nine game point streak uh, back in November. But um, uh, is this a chess move, Noah, by it upper is. management? I, I think it is, too, because you don't do this to a player unless you get the sense. And maybe there so, was always the sense that so he was never going to resign. So let's clarify this. Actually, so Besser actually didn't end up being scratched last night. He was supposed oh. to be scratched. And then Dakota Joshua, who is linked to the Jagger Joshua issue with mm-hmm. Ohio State, by the way, which it sounds yep. like um, said Loka is actually going to be back probably by the end of the of the calendar year for Ohio State. Okay. Just an update on that one as well, too. Um, but Boudreaux said this. He said, we did this earlier in the year with Connor Garland, and he responded well. So I'm anticipating because Brock's a real good professional that he'll respond in kind. So it looks like maybe just trying to jumpstart a little bit. Uh, regardless, I did not see, uh, maybe we can look real quick because we have uh, this handy dandy thing called the internet. We can see if Brock Besser had any points last night against Arizona, which you would hope that he would because this Coyotes team has really struggled last night. Uh, he had one goal. He had, he had one goal plus one, four shots on goal, 20 shifts, 1440 of ice time. So maybe the, the pseudo scratching helped him, but I thought it was kind of an interesting story. Brock Besser has had a very tumultuous Tumultuous. career with 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 injuries and up and down and good teams and not good teams and it's it's been interesting it has been um i know that the the wild uh fan line out there you should say has always always had an eye on brock besser you know the talents there the injury you know being injury prone doesn't sell me on him the other thing is he's wildly streaky as goal scores can't you know tend to be but it seems like over the last yeah. couple of seasons the it's more been the streaks of not being productive rather than being productive which and, and who knows maybe it is part of the system maybe it's partly vancouver who knows right um but it does seem like no matter what that his uh days in vancouver seem to be more numbered than uh, uh than not so 
to wrap up um, our last topic, at least from my side of things, um, a former RPI head coach, Mike Odessa, had did pass away this past Tuesday at the age of 77. Um, he was the GM currently of the Worcester Railers of the ECHL. Um, so it was announced on social media. And why this is bigger news than it probably should be, and I'm, I'm not sure why certain things come out when somebody passes. You, you tend to think that... Um, when somebody you know does pass away that certain things are sort of left for a little bit later right um now some of his accomplishments coaching before we get to this maybe some of the other things um coach the holy cross um led rpa to a national championship in 1985 35 two and one record that's not half bad yeah. um now this is where uh maybe sort of the bruise comes into play um he resigned from rpi in 89 amidst a controversy when he was accused of making a racist remark towards uh, two black players in the team, including future NHL forward uh, Graham Townshend. Um, apparently, the, he apologized to Townshend and uh, accepted the apology, um, uh, did the player. And uh, the quote was, you know, hey, my coach isn't, was not a racist. And this is telling the hockey news back in 2019. He got pissed off and it slipped, and we talked about it literally a half hour after it happened, and it was over. And it didn't come out into the paper until the end of the season because people, the administration, didn't like the coach. They used me to punish the coach, and that's not fair. Uh, so uh, take that with what you wish, right? Yeah. Um, after RPI, Odessa did work as a scout for the Detroit, uh, Detroit Red Wings. He also ran the Boston Bulldogs organization from 95 to 2012 and then was a scout for the Calgary Flames from 11 to 13 and then joined the Canucks as a scout from 15 to 17. So um, our best wishes uh, yeah. to the Odessa family. But, you know, again, I just – it's one of those things where – I don't know, Noah. Like it's it. It feels like a nothing burger to me. And it, I don't it does, say, and yeah. I don't say that to diminish. Obviously, racism in 1989 is no different than racism in 2022. Like it's right. it's a remark that shouldn't be said. Um, and I don't want to say there's varying levels of racism because that just no. leads us into a rabbit hole of different things. But it sounds like it was resolved. It sounds like there was growth. It, there there wasn't multiple instances of this happening. It was. A kind of a done. one and done thing and stuff. And it was, a, it was a long time ago. Does that make it any more inexcusable? No. no, but you know what? He had a great career in the game of hockey. Uh, he ended up passing away and the focus should be obviously on, you know, his, his family and, you know, the time that they're going through and that sort of thing. And I think that it's easy to kind of paint that picture as, Oh, wasn't that that coach that did this? Well, yeah, it was, but you know, you look at it, let's look at, for example, a guy like Randy Moss, Randy Moss will always be the guy that mooned the crowd, right? But Randy Moss was still a good football player and is probably a decent human, all things considered, depending on who you ask. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but like, that's the thing. It it feels like kind of a nothing burger, but it is relevant to the story and kind of detracts from the main story, right? Which is, you know, it's, it, I wish as a society, and I think maybe this is where we need to go to, you know, is recognize that. Yes, there was a negative thing that happened. This were, and I think I want to echo what you said. We're not diminishing the comment because if it comes out, and mind you, the player said it slipped, right? <clears throat> and that probably was the coach's words, not his. Let's let's be honest with that. But yeah, the fact that at least it sounds like the coach recognized crap that was not okay. Yeah. He talked and apologized immediately afterwards. There wasn't. Uh, like I didn't want to talk about it. It wasn't like it wasn't addressed. It doesn't sound like, at least from what we know, this was a repeated thing. 
Um, so there is some positivity in the sense that when these things happen and to a grown adult, you can essentially put yourself on, on the guillotine, you know, and, and take right. responsibility, apologize and do it right there after, um, and go from there. I, I think that's a good thing. Obviously you wish that it didn't happen in the first place, but how I think it's more often nowadays than not where these things happen, where we re, we receive word of these things and it's not a one-time thing. It's a repeated thing. There is denial that things happen. There's never acceptance of, you know, of one's actions. And then it's a, a he said, he said, or however you want to phrase it kind of thing that happens. So, um, right. you know, so at least if this is indeed true for what's being reported, you got to give the coach at least a little bit of credit for owning what he did, making the quick, um, shall we say, turnaround and apology for it. And then again, unless there's something else that we don't know, it doesn't sound like it happened again. Yeah. So I suppose that's a good thing. Certainly would agree. A couple more topics here in the main portion of the show. Wild game uh, in Los Angeles, Seattle Kraken uh, coming to town and winning in overtime by a score of 9 to 8, 17 combined goals between the two teams. If you're curious what the NHL record is, is actually December 11th of 1985. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers beat the Chicago Blackhawks by a score of 12 to 9 for a combined 21 goals. There's a, a couple at 20. There's a lot at 18 and one at 19. So it would have ranked somewhere around like in the top 20, I guess, in terms yeah. of most goals. But uh, a lot of high scoring games back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, as a result of this, Cal Peterson, the netminder, $5 million a season for the next two years. He's in the first year of a three year deal. He's 28 years old, and they sent him on waivers, and he cleared. His 868 yep. save percentage is the second lowest in the National Hockey League. 5-3-2 this season, and a 3-7-5 goals against. Last season, he was 2014-2 in 37 games, had a 2-8-9 and an 8-9-5 save percentage as the Kings made the playoffs for the first time in four years. So kind of interesting. Uh, Cal Peterson's really struggling. Jacob Markstrom is really struggling right now. Jack Campbell is kind of struggling in Edmonton uh, right now. He kind of had a bit of a resurgence, but then obviously had a very rocky game against Minnesota. So a uh, pretty wild hockey game if you get a chance to go and check out that highlight package. Uh, Dallas Stars, Rupe Hints, eight-year extension, $67.6 million over the life of the loan, so to speak, $8.45 million average annual value. He's 26, had 72 points last year, 24 points in 22 current games this season. The Minnesota Wild will get a taste of him uh, at 2 o'clock this afternoon and see yep. what he can bring to the table. So I uh, have to keep an eye. This Dallas team is certainly rolling. Uh, yes, Colorado. Colorado, former Minnesota Wild forward Alex Galchenyuk, uh, one-year contract, 750K, has been lighting it up uh, in the AHL. He got hurt during the preseason. The Avs were pretty high on him, but kind of wanted to wait and see to make sure that he was all right. He would Sec have been signed had he not been injured 100%. Yep. 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 Sec second to last topic, Alex Formenton for the Senators is ineligible for the season after missing the RFA signing deadline on December yep. 1st. So he is done for the year. Had uh, 32 points in 79 games last year, 18 goals to his credit. Um, he is 23 right now. And really what this is linked to is he was part of that 2018 World Junior Championship team. And from what it sounds like, is the NHL and their investigation um, actually is pretty much done with their investigation mm -hmm. and they already have kind of their ruling set in place. They are actually just waiting for the police reports and police investigation to finish before they throw this out. Uh, 
that's not good news. And I'm not saying Formenton, you know, was or wasn't a part of that, but I think GMs are really hesitant to touch some of these guys and let them, you know, sign right. new contracts until they know a little bit more here. I, Especially with how tight a lot of teams are for the cap, um, because yeah. when you're signed, it goes against the cap. Um, again, we still don't have, I don't think, any clarity yet on the Mitchell Miller situation and whether his, uh, unless yeah. I missed it, Noah, um, yeah. on whether that contract will count against the cap. I think it should, but um, I think I'm with you on that one. I think a lot of GMs are just trying to wait until, um, shall we say, the dust settles uh, to, to, to see what happens before. Uh, some of these players get picked up, um, and this is a prime example of that. Yeah, nothing new on the Mitchell Miller situation, but one of the bigger injuries as we hit our last topic here, Chris Letang out indefinitely after a stroke. His second uh, in his lifetime had a previous one back in 2014, and he missed over two months as a result of that. Is not experiencing any lasting effects, but he was taken to the hospital after reporting symptoms. He's undergoing testing this week. Um, it's not believed to be career-threatening. However, I did pull this from our own textbook, uh, actually, in nursing school. Having a stroke, I mean, it, may, it makes you more susceptible yep. to having another one. Um, right. About 800,000 Americans will have a first stroke in a given year. About 23% of them will suffer a second stroke. So kind of put that in perspective. That's a little under 200,000 people, you know, that are uh, – expected to have a second one in addition to their first strokes are a scary thing when you have people that have heart cardiopulmonary cardiovascular issues once you kind of start going down that slippery slope as a lot of people know with pacemakers and other things it's a hard thing to try to reset even professional athlete or otherwise once your cardiovascular system gives you these indications um and it's surprising to me in the sense that so how does a stroke happen right right there's multiple options but some of the most common as you get older in age not necessarily Latang's age is you have a venous thromboembolism essentially a blockage in one of your veins usually in your leg um, mm -hmm. that moves either up into your lungs your heart uh, or of course in this case in your brain um, and that's usually what happens and you start to have some clotting issues mm -hmm. um, kind of all uh, I believe Pascal Dupuis had some sort of similar kind of blood type clotting yep. issue as well too so these things are really hard to resolve I'm very curious to see what they find with Chris Letang but it's a scary thing it's a scary thing well, and, you know, to that writing, too, when they say it's not believed to be career threatening, the, the true answer is they don't they don't know. Right. Um, yeah. But I, I would think that now that this is his recorded second, you can, I you almost think that there the conversation has changed. Now, again, and I'm not a medical expert by any means, but you yeah. would think that um, a couple of factors. Right. Latang is not a young player. Um, he's certainly up there in age. Um, being that this is second, um, I would think that they won't rush him. I yeah. feel like, uh, if anything, I, I don't know, and maybe I should, you know, pass this to you. Do you think yeah. kind of the decision comes to him at this point? Uh, because essentially as, as yeah. the person, the player, it's sort of like, you know, the risk now you've had two. I would imagine that if you've had two, the, I would think the conclusion he must think, well, I, I would hope I don't have more, but it's maybe maybe it will yeah um some i don't know what, what's what do you think some people are just more susceptible to those things you think about like rich peverly right rich peverly was 29 when he collapsed on that mm -hmm. bench for dallas and never played another yep. hockey game right. uh the other danger too so you know what is the management for strokes for some people it's anticoagulant therapy essentially blood, blood thinners, thinners. Yep. well here's the problem if Latang gets cut on the ice he's going to be in serious trouble because serious it takes trouble. so much more to um, even for example, when you have people who are on blood thinners and you're starting simply IVs and you end up 
discontinuing an IV, I mean, you're holding pressure for four or five minutes in some cases to make sure that they just don't bleed out from a normal, you know, <laughs> IV. So right. that that's the danger that you're going to run there, among other things where blood thinners would affect the way that he's able to intake oxygen, yada, yada, yada. But um, yeah, I could see this going either way. I mean, I'm really on the fence. I could see a doctor telling him, you know what, this might be it for you, man, even if it was not seeing any lasting effects, or they might say, you know what, we'll give it another shot, but you got to pay attention. You know your body best. If one more of these happens, for sure you're done. So I don't know, yeah. but wishing Chris Letang the best as he moves through that. Three other injuries here for you. Vancouver, Thatcher Demko, netminder, out for six weeks with a lower body injury. Detroit's Tyler Bertuzzi will also miss the same amount of time with hand surgery that he underwent last week. And Toronto's Kelly Yarncroc, the Leafs cannot catch a break, missing at least nope. two weeks with a groin injury. And welcome into the main portion of the show, episode 140. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant. Nick, it's a pleasure to have you here early in December. We're going to jump right into it, I think. Uh, NCAA, yeah. NCAA hockey here, a lot to get to, um, and I want to make sure that we give as much time as we can uh, to the college hockey world. Plus, nothing interesting is going on in our lives anyway. So, no. uh, Big Ten. Yeah, Big Ten world. Uh, I mean, I'm off my parents' insurance now after this month. Thanks. Happy birthday yesterday on uh, 26. But uh, Ohio State traveled to Penn State in the Big Ten uh, this last Friday and Saturday. Penn State, 2-1 victory on Friday. Ohio State, 4-3 on Saturday. A bit of a back-and-forth affair between the Nittany Lions and the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, Michigan traveling to Wisconsin, and it was the Badgers, a 6-3 victory on Friday night. Michigan responds with a 4-2 victory of their own in night number two. And then Minnesota handily handling the Spartans 5-0 in 6-3, although I was talking to my dad, who, of course, watched the games a little more in-depth, and he said, this Spartans team is good. He said it really wasn't a reflection of how good the Spartans team was because the Gophers were just really on it this weekend. So uh, like we talked about, I believe Michigan State and maybe Penn State or maybe and throw Ohio State in the mix as maybe the teams that are vying for those top three spots uh, in in addition to Minnesota there. Michigan's kind of floundering. Wisconsin is definitely out of the race, and Notre Dame is a 500 team at best. I think uh, they were obviously mm-hmm. off this weekend, but Wisconsin, they've played spoiler a couple times here. They have. Um, and it, not that the season hasn't been any more confusing, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, with the amount of talent that Michigan has, uh, they're terrible in the big 10 right now. They, yeah, like absolutely terrible. Um, so, I mean, Michigan might be on the outside looking in by the end of yeah. the, by the end of it, is, which is is it fair to say, you know, you look at the non-conference schedule, which obviously had some good opponents, Western Michigan and this sort of thing. Could we like accurately say that Michigan maybe just isn't that good this year? I think what from what we've seen, yeah, I'd say that's correct now. Um, I've sort of rethought about what I think about Michigan. I thought they were Maybe in a rut, I thought maybe they'd work out of it, but it hasn't been the case. And the way that they're losing games, too, is it doesn't seem like they're really that competitive in some of these games. Yeah. They, they uh they give up a lot of goals. That's the that's the biggest thing. The defensive side of the game is certainly hurting. Uh when you lose Owen Power, um, and a couple other studs also on the forward side that were also really good defensively, um, has well, shook good. up that lineup. So well, good thing they had a really relaxing offseason, right? Yeah, depends on who you ask. But uh, yeah, no, Michigan, I, I think I think we can say here in December, they're not the same team as last year. Um, I, we figured maybe they would 
claw back a little bit, but not as much as they have. I'm still a little surprised, but no, uh, they may not make the tournament this year. I, yeah. I don't I don't think they will. That's yeah. just, if this trend continues, they won't. Well, good thing our NCHC predictions were spot on too, right? Um, About that. <laughs> Michigan Michigan Tech traveling to Northern Michigan. This one was a split. Northern Michigan 4-3 to in overtime. Michigan Tech a 3-1 to victory on Saturday. Nick, I'm going to put it out there right now. Ryan Stieg asked us last night. I kind of said it a little bit last week. I think this matchup this past weekend, you're looking at the top two teams in the CCHA this year, battling it out. Yep. You I know? think you're right. This we'll, tech team we'll is why here further down the row. <laughs> yeah, this tech team is looking good in Northern Michigan. Grandpa Tony has built a machine that is well oiled, is not high end, I would no. say, but is consistent. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they've certainly given themselves a chance. There's one other team that is still in the mix as of right now, but uh, they had an interesting weekend. Obviously, it is it is not Bowling Green and Lake Superior, although Bowling Green is technically atop the CCHA. I'm still not high on them right now. Uh, but they did get the sweep seven four five one. This Lakers team is terrible. Uh, it's bad. really difficult bad. to see the drop off from only a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ferris State traveling to Mankato. This is the matchup we were alluding to. Ferris State a sweep two to one and three to two. This Mavs team not good. They've had some key injuries. They haven't really had guys step up in the offensive front. I think it's funny though because I uh, I'll just throw this out there in our private group chat. I mean, Alex Michaletti has talked about. He keeps saying, "Oh, you know," and I'm not defending Keenan Rance here just because he's a former Toro. You know, Alex Tracy is definitely in this piece too. But he talks about you know Mankato not getting goaltending, not getting goaltending. They're losing games that are low scoring hockey games. They are. Their mm-hmm. goaltenders are doing their job, and you know that's the thing. It's like this Mankato team. I think just all around, yes, goaltending included, all around just is not the same. They're not on. They're not in sync. It seems like right. They're um, not. They're, they're just not the same wagon they were last year. They're just missing too no. many pieces. A lot of pieces. And let's remind it. Like Maverick Hockey, uh, they pride themselves on kind of like you feel like Bemidji is they need to score first. They let, they have to play with a lead, right? And yeah. a lot of the times they're giving up the first goal. They're not a team that's built the chase. And so whether it's a defensive breakdown or whatnot, um, if they're chasing games, it's never good for them. Yeah. The, the other part of it is when you lose guys like Nathan Smith and Julian Napravnik and a couple of guys up front that could score, right? Um, again, when you're losing these tight, very low scoring games, what does it tell you? Well, you're not getting your goaltender any support either, right? If you're going to yeah. say it's goaltending in a 2-1 matchup, I'd say uh, no, that is a goal. Yeah. If, you're, if your goaltender is, is allowing two or less, he's he's doing his job in my opinion. Yeah. Um, does it mean that he's got to steal one on a, on a tighter game at some point in the season, but your offense isn't there either? And from some of that same group chat, it sounds like maybe there's some, shall we say, that the team chemistry itself could be in question. Again, we don't know if that's the case or not. You, um, you know, and it's interesting, too, because you, you talk about Mankato's style, and I think they were kind of blessed a little bit to be able to rely a little bit yeah. uh, on a goaltender who they could play that structure where they could sit in a 2-1, 3-2 hockey game and feel comfortable just holding a lead and right. knowing there was a goaltender that could backstop. Obviously, that's not taking anything away from the current goaltenders because you have to have offensive support, but it was enough where they were comfortable sitting back and playing that defensive structure. Now they need to be, they need, they need to be on their toes. They need to be the aggressor and they just, they don't, they're not playing the right way. It's too much of a pivot from one year over the other, right? No, I think that's kind of what it comes down to is like you said, when you have essentially the perfect formula that they had last year, we're talking the lineup, right? Where you had the goaltender that 
could be your best player, be the brick wall. Um, you needed one or two goals and you felt comfortable, well, with the lead to be able to play a trap style. Um, you knew you were going to, you know, force teams into essentially gripping the steps too tight, uh, trying to force a couple of things and be opportunistic in transition, right? Yeah. Um, Mankato this year, they don't have that same formula. And I think if, if, you're a t- if you're a Mankato fan or perhaps even a Mankato player, I think it's time to look in the mirror and say, this is not who we are. We're just not built to play yeah. the same way. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't completely abandon what makes you successful, but it does right. mean I think you do need to change your approach in terms of your offensive mindset and maybe even in the neutral zone so that way you're giving yourself more chances to move the puck forward and be, like you said, more of the aggressor and the driver of possession rather than being more opportunistic. Well, you talked about Bemidji State and their willingness to score goals first. How about a 6-4 to victory against St. Thomas yeah. on Friday night? And then they did win in a shootout 3-2 to on Saturday. Uh, pretty good response there by the Tommies. Um, yeah, hey, both these teams kind of an interesting ride. Bemidji is kind of a dark horse candidate to be in that top two, I think, this season. Yep. They're another team that relies a little bit heavily on that defensive side uh, and that defensive structure. Will that bring them to the promised land? We'll have to see. ECAC, uh, we had one matchup basically that turned into three. Harvard Harvard played Cornell. uh, Harvard beating Cornell 2-1 to in overtime on Friday, and then they lost, did Harvard 6-4 to to Colgate on Saturday, while Cornell narrowly beat Dartmouth 1-0 on Saturday as well. So uh, we don't have matchups much in the ECAC, but when we do, I guess they're just going to jump in with the <laughs> right the rest of them in terms of the confusion here. Uh, Hockey East, UConn played Merrimack on Tuesday and Friday because, you know, Hockey East. Uh, right. UConn won 3-1 to one on Tuesday. I was going to say night number one. That's not even a thing. Uh, and then Merrimack came storming back with a 7-3 to three victory. This Huskies team, their second big loss in as many weeks here. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Providence, a home and home against the Tuesday, Boston. Friday schedule must. I mean, it's got to yeah. be tough, you'd think, right? Especially if you're the team that has got the night number one win. Now, on this, on the flip side of that, if you're the team that does lose on Tuesday, you got a couple of days to watch film to sort of understand what was, you know, what the game plan was and try to flip the script. And well, seems like that's what happened here. And I don't, and I don't mind it in the sense that you could play like say Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, for example. I don't mind a Tuesday college hockey game. We no. do that we do that, you know, it's so much fun to throw on ballet sports and see a high school hockey game on a Tuesday night, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot of fun, but yeah, hockey east it's just it's hard to keep track of. Uh Providence BC had a home and home. Uh one to one overtime finish Providence won in the shootout on Friday and a two to two overtime finish in which in which um BU, sorry, won in a shootout on Saturday, I think it was BU. I wrote BC, but I think it was BU. Uh, and then UMass Lowell and UMass played on Saturday only. Love it. One to one overtime finish where UMass did one in the, did win in the shootout. We had a lot of OT finishes uh, in Hockey East, and then some non conference action. Union, who's thirty second in the pairwise as of yesterday, beat twenty four Northeastern by a score of three to two on Saturday. Wow. So that that's, that's a bit a of a one. bit of a blow for the Huskies over there as well. Atlantic Hockey, two matchups to talk about here. AIC uh, had Bentley Thursday, Friday. AIC handily. Uh, outscoring their opponents 12 Bentley to 3. O- yeah, overall on the weekend. Yeah, we say that, but they beat Ohio State and they've disrupted one other team. I forget who they beat as well, too. So it's been. <laughs> and yet they're 57th in the pairwise. So you explain that to me. 
I'll explain how Ohio State's looking at that shaking in their boots for sure. Yeah, uh, probably. <laughs> Holy Holy Cross uh, traveling to Air Force. Uh, Holy Cross sweeping Air Force four yeah. to one and two to one. I don't know who's good. I don't know. I, don't <laughs> I really, really don't. Uh, Big Ten, what's on tap here? Penn State travels to Notre Dame. Michigan is at Michigan State for uh, the Battle of the Detroit Suburbs or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Wisconsin uh, traveling to Minnesota uh, for a very interesting matchup where the Gophers better be on their toes in that one. Uh, CCHA 2.0, Mankato travels to Bowling Green. Northern Michigan is at Ferris. Lake Superior is at Bemidji State. And I believe St. Thomas and... Uh, who would be the other team in this St. Thomas and tech, I think tech. are, are the other two that are off this weekend. Uh, hockey East Merrimack travels to UMass on Wednesday. Cause why the heck not? Uh, right. BU plays BC on Friday only. And then BU plays UConn on Sunday mm-hmm. and Merrimack gets Providence on Saturday only because sure reasons uh niagara has a thursday friday matchup in atlantic hockey at aic and independent wise the two alaska schools playing each other uh alaska anchorage and alaska fairbanks Fairbanks. yeah um that one will be in fairbanks this weekend nchc wise here let's move over to men's hockey in i was gonna say the best conference in college hockey but i don't think that's the case right now it's very confusing um i don't even think there is one probably the maybe I, I don't even know i was gonna say maybe the big 10 i don't even know and then i thought about hockey east and whatever that's been so i have no idea uh anyway it's interesting colorado college traveled to duluth or sorry uh were they in duluth no they were at cc um well, so, i thought they were at duluth oh maybe they were oh why I'll, do i not know i'll double check here yeah well, why you. do i not know this uh cc uh, anyway they were uh, at duluth yes they were okay yeah cc uh three to nothing uh, victory in night number one. In fact, both of these games were a shutout going in opposite directions. The second time this season, we've seen that in college hockey overall. Duluth, uh, four to nothing victory in night number two. So hard to get a read on anything except for the fact that CC continues to struggle on Saturdays, especially yep. on the road. Um, Duluth continues to struggle, period. Sorry, Max. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, this dog's team is not good. Uh, no. Western, uh, this CC team is, they're moving in the right direction. They have become a team to watch uh, in yeah. college hockey here. Uh, Western Michigan, Omaha. Holy crap. Yeah. Uh, holy hell. Yeah. Uh, UND, or UND, UNO, seven to six on Friday night. Uh, yes, that's a combined 13 goals on Friday night. And then the Mavs completing the sweep by a score of three to one wow. on Saturday. Uh, they're, they're starting. <laughs> We'll talk about yeah. this obviously soon, but Omaha has surprised a little bit. They're in a home spot right now. They're, they are. Yeah. They are. What, number yeah. three, right? Are they number yeah. three? Yeah. They are, they are t- tail and tip, essentially, uh, with Western Michigan, who they just played. They, I mean, they climbed literally in two weeks. We'll get to the standings here. Well, let me just take a quick little peek here. Yeah, they climbed from seven to three in the NCHC in the span of about 13 days. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. So, Pretty impressive. Uh, other scores going on. Arizona State non-conference travels to Denver. DU narrowly escaping Friday night 3-2 mm-hmm. to two, and then a 5-2 to two victory. Uh, a little more cut and dried in night number two. Miami was off this weekend. That's where St. Cloud will be traveling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and North Dakota traveled to St. Cloud State. And uh, yeah, hockey's funny. Uh, Friday, yeah. Friday night, uh, Griffin Ness got the scoring started just two and a half minutes into period number one for the Fighting Hawks. And then Aiden Spellacy with a seeing eye shot uh, from Chase Brand and Brendan Bushy at the 9-12 mark. That uh, UND will want that goal back. For yeah, sure. 
Kanta yeah. not taking anything away from Aiden's policy, which it's the right play for a guy who's a bottom six forward. You enter the zone, you see traffic in front, put a puck on that. Yeah, absolutely. From the middle of the ice, uh, sometimes it goes in. Or unless you're playing North Dakota, they all go in. Uh, so a one-to-one uh, halfway through period number one, and then Blake Jackson, the other marker uh, for the Fighting Hawks to make it two-to-one north dakota after one and we thought hmm, the huskies should probably figure their stuff out well they did uh with six yeah. six straight unanswered four in the second two in the third a shorty a power play and a power play goal in that mix as well yami kranilov from vietti mietna and jack peart grant crookshank shorthanded from chase brand jack peart from kranila and bushy in period number two and then a power play marker to end the middle frame vietti mietna from kyler kuka who it's good to see him back, back in the lineup after uh, getting his appendix removed. So, uh, and then period number three, Yami Kranila from Mietnin and Jack Peart, and then Adam Ingram and Dylan Anhorn assisting on Kyler Kupka's power play marker at the 12-20 mark. Shots on goal, 33-32 St. Cloud in this mm-hmm. one. Um, bolstered a little bit by the first period margins for North Dakota, who, let's be fair, had really good opening periods uh, mm-hmm. uh, in both games this weekend, but uh, the rest left a bit to be desired. Uh, Face-offs 20... 20- 29 for 58 for each team, 50% even. Two for five on the power play, including a shorty for the Huskies, and then a perfect three for three on the kill. Jackson Caster stopping 30 of 32, had a 9.38 save percentage in that contest. Jacob Helston had a 7.37 on 19 total shots, and Drew DeRitter saw seven, led in two for a 7.14. Um, we'll get back to that save percentage in, in just a little bit. Six to three, the Huskies do win on Saturday. Although, if you would have tuned in for just the first period and a half, you wouldn't have thought that. No, uh, Matt, uh, it Mateo. was Matteo Constantini, who I believe is a former Miami Redhawk, correct? No, no. Or is is his brother a Red Hawk? Why does why do I feel like that's a Red Hawk name? Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. Gavin Hain on the power play and Reese Gaber on the power play in periods one and two. Uh, just two minutes into the middle frame to get UND out to a three to nothing lead. Thought the Huskies were in trouble until Brendan Bushy and Zach Okabe got us uh, within one. Grant Crookshank, Adam Ingram, two assists in the middle frame, and Dylan Anhorn the other assist for Brendan Bushy second. Zach Okabe is ninth of the season, and we thought, wow, he might hit double digits at some point. Well, he did uh, in period number three with a natural hat trick, his 10th and 11th of the year. The third hat trick, third goal being the hat trick goal coming on the power play from Josh Lidke and Jack Peart. Second marker, 55 seconds into period number three, Vietti Mietnin. Uh, what a whale of a weekend he had uh, in the assist column, especially uh, with an assist there. Kyler Koop was fourth of the season from Dylan Anhorn and Micah Miller extended the lead and Jack Peart, his second of the season into the empty net for the Huskies uh, to claw back in that one with again, Six unanswered both nights. Uh, 26-19 shots on goal were actually in favor, not of St. Cloud. I believe it was actually UND. Um, I think I wrote that wrong. But uh, 34 for 61 in the in the faceoff dot. That is correct. 55.7% were the Huskies. One for three on the power play. Um, three for five on the PK, though, allowing two uh, markers well shorthanded. So that's a bit tough. Uh, Dominic Bassey had an 8.85, stopping 23 of 26. Drew DeRitter had a 7.22 in this hockey game. Combined over the weekend, North Dakota had a 7.45 save percentage as a team this weekend. Compare that to St. Cloud, who had a 9.14. So could that have been a difference? Maybe. Uh, this is the first time that St. Cloud has swept UND at the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center in regulation years. in 21 years. I wasn't. I was just about to turn five, and Nick was an underclassman in high school. So. Maybe. I was either been, eighth, I would have either eighth, depending on when it happened in 01, I would have either been an eighth grader or a freshman in high school. You would have been thanks, at least you, me. you would have been at least 14, almost 15. 
we're 10 years apart, man. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, so you would have been in high school for sure. Okay, cool. Yeah, you freshman or sophomore probably. But nonetheless, it's been a hot minute. Early 2000, 2001, I believe. So um, fall of in 2001. The, yeah. And the player you're thinking of for Miami is Matthew Barbellini. Yeah, yeah. They all, they're all they all Italian, right? No, I'm You know, Constantini is a sophomore. He's been with the Red Hawks his entire RSA. He's been with the yeah. Fighting Hawks. The Red Hawks, the, the Fighting Hawks, I guess they're all the same. Yeah. With, he's only a sophomore, so this yeah. Yeah, um, well, he scored. Um, yeah, he did. Was probably feeling good about himself. It was his first of the season, and uh, and then it went downhill. Um, Gavin Haynes, eighth of the season. Reese Gabers, 11th of the year. There are guys who are scoring. Um, we'll get to the standings in a second, but this North Dakota team, who is sitting seventh in the NCHC right now, mm-hmm. you know, we picked them, uh, however order you want to say you and I had it, we picked them to be in the top two this season still. Um, and... The thing that's interesting, yes, goaltending has played a big part of it, but I think you and I both expected the veteran guys to stay pat, which it seems like most of them kind of have. But we expect right. some of the young guys to infuse a little bit more seamlessly and as far as the offense was concerned. And they just they're a bunch of individual there are a bunch of individuals out there who are not playing as a cohesive group right now. And I and I was talking with my dad again last night, and I said, "This St. Cloud team, they're good. You know, they're finding ways to get back into hockey games. They're finding ways to score. Probably the most, I believe, the most productive offense in college hockey right now." And my dad said, "Yeah, but North Dakota, they're not that good right now." No, and, and this is where the youth, and you know, it's it's all youth, right? It's yeah. It, the the veterans have held pat, as we said. Um, Reese Gaber is. Every time you touch the puck, you hold your breath because that yeah. guy's got a rocket of a shot. Um, very smart with the puck. I think a couple of things. It, it hurt, uh, I think the loss in the back end of, of Jake Sanderson really hurts because um, not only do we look at his offense, but just the way that he was able to hit ice in his veins in the defensive zone. He knew how to make that first pass. He knew how to skate yeah. out of the zone. There were so many things about his defensive game that were so good. Um, so I think that I think that hurts them a little bit too. And we talk about young forwards, right? But how about young forwards learning to play the defensive side of the game, right? It, it seems like that's where they're hurting about. Again, they went 13 goals against. Um, yeah. That's not only on the goaltenders. I mean, we talk about this ad nauseum, right? Knowing that is goaltending statistics are not just a reflection, unless Aiden Spellish's goal, that one squarely in the goaltender on that one. But yeah. minus that, it's a team stat. Um, like Again, St. Cloud took advantage on the power play. They t- they had a shorthanded goal. Um, so what's you know what's going on here, right? And if you're Brad Barry, who we know is a tremendous coach, he's he's won um, you know coach of the year twice or three times now um, in the NCHC. Yeah. Um, you know that he can coach it, and just to me, it's there's just so much youth there that's got a lot of promise for talent. They just haven't quite adjusted to the division one game. And again, we talk about how hard the NCHC conference is. I would argue that the NCHC conference is still a, a good conference. No, but one thing that's different is this year. And you could say this across, I think the rest of college hockey, there just isn't besides maybe Denver. I would throw St. Cloud in there too. Maybe Quinnipiac besides those top four teams. It's just sort of a, a washing board. There just, there isn't a, like a top 16, there's a lot yeah. of parity that's still there, and I still think the talent depth in the, in the NCHC is still very, very good. But because of them beating each other up and no one really taking hold except for, again, the top two teams, 
you're seeing the conference seems to be weaker in reality. Um, yeah. I think it's still strong, but I don't know. I don't know how you would characterize it. You, you know what's interesting? I'm trying to find the tweet. It was one of the – it's actually a tweet from a North Dakota fan, so we take that with a grain of salt. Um, danger close, right? But uh, um, I was trying to find a tweet from last night. They were talking about Brad Berry's coaching history, how they've – like they missed the playoffs ever since kind of Dave Haxtall there. Really haven't had any success at the national tournament level. Mm-hmm. And there was some questions called in about his recruiting process, um, which obviously he's got some really young forwards that are going to develop accordingly. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are tweeting, you know, you think Brad Berry's seat is getting warm and, you know, a bunch of people are like, you're joking, right? Are we? And I'm not sa- and I'm not saying I think we're way too early to to, to definitively write that off. And we got to see where no. this young group comes into. But if he has a season where it continues the way it is and next year starts poorly, we might be talking about a very different story. Now, we've got a half a season to play, yes. Um, and a lot of things could change very quickly. Yep. But there's a lot of North Dakota fans that are upset about the transfer portal, which I get it in the sense that you want your young guys to come in, but they brought a very good crop of young players in and a pretty sizable one at that. Yep. The transfer portal has worked very well for this team in the past. And you want a good example of a transfer portal working very well for a team. Who do they just play? Grant exactly. Crookshank, Grant Dylan Crookshank. Anhorn, Dominic Bassey, right? You've got three guys that have assimilated seamlessly. So it's all about the mix and structure around. So maybe North Dakota, maybe their transfer portal players haven't assimilated as well into the mix as St. Clouds has. And you never really know until you know. I think, example, uh, Casey Gilling last year for Duluth, for example, a guy that they expected a little bit more out of, right? Yep. So, you know, it can work It can work to your advantage or to your detriment, so to speak. Even St. Cloud saw that year to year with some of their uh, yeah. transfer guys, Seamus Donahue, for example, kind of being up and down depending on when, when you looked at them uh, during the time frame. I don't know. I, I don't know how to characterize this North Dakota team. It's weird for them to not be good and, like, to really not be good right now. Like, normally if they're right. struggling, they're, like, fourth, right? You know, they're kind of on the bubble of having a home spot. They've dropped a couple of close contests. They just, you know, haven't, you know, have been missing a goal score or, you know, a goaltending for a stretch of time. No, this is like a multifaceted dismantling of what North Dakota hockey is right now. Can can that turn around? Yes. But yes. I mean, they've won two hockey games in the NCHC this year, Nick, in eight games. Yeah. And what's to say? This is sort of an early panic too. Because let's let's be let's be realistic here too. North Dakota fan base, um, they're passionate hockey fans, and the one thing that they require is continued success. And mind you, they have had yeah. an embarrassment of riches at that university for so long. Um, and again, I, I think last year, right? We saw how it, you mentioned Donahue. Um, I think even Aiden Spellacy coming in last year, you could tell that he wasn't quite. It took him almost a full season. He's much better now. Yeah. And that's also just moving him around to he was supposed to be that replacement for Will Hammer. He's played mostly on the wing uh this year. Ryan Roseboro, a guy that I talked to Brett Larson, even as of recent, uh, was a guy that they thought could be that next Will Hammer. And they've had him again on the wing side uh, just because yeah. of his size, right? So sometimes does it come down to coaching where you have this idea? Again, we talk about a puzzle piece, right? Of what you're recruiting and your transfer portal wants to look like, and you think, okay, this is how the picture is supposed to look like. And it just doesn't work that way. Right. Yeah. Now 
when that happens, right, this is when the coaches make their money, which is, okay, this picture isn't quite forming the way I wanted to. Now, how can I juggle or mix and match or change the formula around to get what I want out of these guys? Um, and sometimes it isn't changing the line. Sometimes it is maybe sending a guy. I mean, there's so many different tools at their disposal, right? Yeah. Um, and Brad and, Mary, for the most part, yeah. has been able to make it work for, for whatever reason. Again, in St. Cloud, they had a, a, a big freshman class coming in too. But again, you talk about the right mix, the right chemistry. I guarantee you that St. Cloud probably feels, shall we say, a little bit lucky? Isn't, isn't there yeah. some kind of luck in there too where the picture comes out just the way you hoped it would? Because it, until, like you said, you see the the actual product on the ice, you have no idea how it's all going to uh, mix together. A little bit lucky. And even this weekend, there were times where St. Cloud was still outplayed a little bit, right? And, yeah. they, and they were able to get bounces. You talked about, uh, you know, uh, potential for what statistically it should have been for North Dakota to score on Friday relative to where St. Cloud was at, right? St. Cloud may be lucky to put up seven on this North yeah. Dakota team, all things considered. But that's what good teams do. That's what this team two years yes. ago did when they went in their national championship run is they felt unstoppable because they were never out of games. The Minnesota Wild last year felt unstoppable because they were never out of hockey games. And yep. this team has had the right mix. It's interesting. We talked about guys like Bradbury, guys like Scott Sandlin up in Duluth, and how they could have a puzzle and they're blindfolded and they put all the pieces together. Somebody might have stole a few pieces for both of those clubs this year, and it's interesting to see how the the final product comes out. One thing we can agree on, though, is that North Dakota fans are very well-educated and mild-mannered, right? Um, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so the top team and the bottom team in the NCHC were both off in conference play. Denver and Miami, respectively. Denver sitting atop the NCHC still at 19 points at a 6-2 and two record. St. Cloud is in second place right now. Same record, but finishes in overtime have changed that. So 17 points for the Huskies at number two. Omaha has climbed their way at 4-3-1 and one, uh, to 15 uh, in the standings in terms of points. Behind them, the last home spot at 12 points, 4-4, four and four, is Western Michigan. Uh, one point behind them at 11, same record of Minnesota Duluth. The Bulldogs at 500 are just under with overtime finishes. And then the same number of points, 11 for Colorado College in six. They're at three, four, and one, so their record a little less advantageous. North Dakota, four points behind at seven points at a two, five, and one record in seventh place. And Miami at one, six, and one with four points. That is the opponent that St. Cloud will see this upcoming weekend in Miami. North Dakota travels to Western Michigan. Doesn't get any easier for the Fighting Hawks. Uh, no. Both of those teams looking for a bit of redemption. Both teams swept. Uh, last weekend. Right. Omaha travels to Colorado College. Very curious to see how that one uh, ends up. And Denver you imagine travels. Colorado College sweeps that. They get six points. They're up to 17. Yeah, they would Isn't actually crazy. They would actually vault Omaha. They would be right behind St. Cloud if uh, if you and then if you had a split between Western and North Dakota, both of those teams would still sit anywhere they would between. Slide. Yeah, they would yeah. slide to uh, they'd slide by one. So they would slide to uh, to five and six. Yeah. One team that does have to take care of business is St. Cloud traveling to Miami. They have to have them both. Um, yes. Yes, you do. And, and I don't say that, you know, we've seen some crazy things in Miami in the past. Uh, Miami gave North Dakota fits this year, obviously. And I don't say that just because the St. Cloud train is rolling, but this is your last matchup before the holiday break. You got an exhibition game against Manitoba and you come right back with the Gophers before an NCHC gauntlet to finish out the season. Mm -hmm. Gotta have that momentum train. Can't have any question marks in that mind when you head into that holiday break. Yep. Um, in fact, I'm not looking forward at all to the exhibition game against Manitoba. I wish we could wipe it clean from the schedule because 
Uh, you just don't want to infuse any sort of doubt. Not to say that mm-hmm. it couldn't be a confidence booster on paper. They should win that game. But um, at the same time, we might even see our first look at maybe James Gray, for example. Might be, um, yeah. But uh, with that being said, you've got to take care of business against Miami. This Red Hawks team has given teams uh, blips of fits uh, throughout this season. What does St. Cloud have to do to make sure they leave with valuable points in the NCHC in a series? They, Frankly, if they want to finish in the top two in the NCHC, they cannot drop. Uh, well, the big thing is uh, you got to take advantage of a Miami team that's last in the NCHC in goals scored. Uh, only 33 goals for um, through um, eight games. So do the math. That's that's not great. Um, and they also give up a fair amount. Uh, in fact, third most at 53. So they're on minus 20 uh, in goal differential. So uh, again, yeah. St. Cloud, just play your game, right? But also... Don't get cute. You know, uh, do the simple things, right? Get pucks on net, get pucks in deep, um, forecheck, wear them down below the goal line. Um, where we've seen Miami struggle in years past is if you jump on up early, right? Uh, Miami's not a team that's built the chase. Um, yeah. So if you can get that first goal, maybe get a couple early. Um, that's a very tough mountain for Miami to climb just based on their current uh, makeup on their roster. So to me, it's how you do it. You don't overthink it. You certainly don't take them lightly because, again, they're improving. They're probably last year's CC team in terms of where they're trying to restart things again. Um, going back to just my conversations back before the season started, it sounds like that locker room has, you know, has certainly been refreshed a little bit. Now, yeah. granted, it's probably gotten down a little bit just because of where they're at record wise, but uh, no worse for where that team is playing 60 minutes of hockey. They're playing hard hockey. They're they're making you earn every single win. So St. Cloud, just, they got to treat it as you're going to play Denver. You're going to play the Gophers, right? And So yeah. don't get caught up in their record. Just, take, just play the game. You know that you can play, go out there and execute it, and you'll be fine. Certainly would agree. Pairwise standings here in Minnesota, the Golden Gophers atop uh, the heap at 13 and 5. This Gophers team is good. Um, yes, they are. And uh, should they be number one? Up for debate, but I, they are certainly a top three pairwise team right now. There's no doubt about that. I would say at this point, yeah, I think they are number one. Yeah. To be honest with you, they're okay. a good team. Really they're a good team. Really, uh, Quinnipiac is at number two at 12, one and three. They've had a good good record. They've done what they had to do. I think they're more of a top five team right now they are. Um, as opposed to second. Denver, obviously right up there in three. St. Cloud in four. Both of those teams are. I'm okay certain. with all four of those being yep. number one seeds. Yep, certainly. Uh, Penn State at five. They're a team that's kind of a dark horse making their case really quickly so if they, they continue to roll the way that they have. Merrimack is at six, 11 and four. BU, UConn still clinging on to that number eight spot, even with some of those losses. So good for the Huskies. I've really been a beneficiary of their early season start. Yep. Michigan State, the Spartans have moved into the top 10 at number nine. UMass at 10. Michigan is still at 11, at 11 and six. Their non conference schedule. Yep. Yeah, their non conference schedule has kept them pat. Providence at 12. OSU, Ohio State at 13. UMass Lowell, Harvard, Michigan Tech round out the top 16. Notre Dame is on the outside looking in, followed by Western Michigan in 18, Cornell and RIT. So um, here's a question for you, know, real quick, just since we're looking at the pairwise. Yeah. Just based on what we've seen so far, is Penn State the most dangerous one off opponent you could play right now in like the top eight? I would think they are. Yeah, they're dangerous. Um, if you want to go top ten, I Michigan State makes me uneasy depending on who they draw in a one-off um, game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, even this Merrimack team has given teams fits too. Uh, certainly, I think this Penn State team. Like, if you're in that ten spot, like right now, I if you're Penn State, maybe you get a team like UMass or Michigan. Like, 
uh, you know, rolling into that Providence, maybe. Yeah, that's a that's a scary matchup for any team. I think you know you really want to be inside, like you mentioned, the top eight or top nine right now. Oh, you do. You, re- you you want to be a one or two seed. You do. Um, mm-hmm. you, you just don't want to risk it. I I think being in the in the bottom eight. Uh, moving into the standings here. Speaking of uh, moving on down at 21 and 22, respectively, are UNO and North Dakota from the NCHC. Um, still hanging around. Still hanging around. Still There's still playing hockey to play. Um, Man, Mankato's at 27. Um, ASU has dropped to 29. Their recent stretch has been really, really rough. Yeah. Tough for them. Ferris State and Wisconsin are around 30 right now. Northern Michigan. I don't Michigan's, understand how Wisconsin is at 30. I don't, I don't understand that. how Northern Michigan's at 32. Um, Unless they lost to somebody, well, I think they, wasn't they wasn't they their, lost to Anchorage? Did they yeah, not? That's right, non-conference. Yeah. yeah. Um, so keep an eye on that one. Miami's at thirty-six, Duluth at thirty-nine. Yeah, they're and then down there. Colorado College still at forty-five. The disrespect, man. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, even though it's simply math, uh, yeah. but. But yeah, very interesting. This, of course, is, has been updated. The one we're looking at is the USCHO's pairwise updated December 4th at 3.18 a.m. Moving over to the women's side here. We've got a lot to talk to here. We do. Uh, so we'll probably cruise to the wild, I think, a little bit more um, this week and maybe devote a little bit more time to them over the holiday break, probably. I would say, yeah. um, We are going to have at least one show where we will take a week off as well, too. So keep that in mind. Uh, Friday, St. Cloud State, a 3-2 to two victory against St. Thomas. Uh, and the Tommies, Emma Gentry, a goal in the first and a goal in the second assist from Grace Wolf, Addie Scribner and Courtney Hall to get the Huskies out to a two nothing lead. And St. Thomas, a goal in period two, period three, uh, halfway through the third period to draw that game even. And then Courtney Hall with about three and a half minutes to play uh, or four and a half minutes to play in that hockey game from Addie Scribner um, and Reagan Bulger, uh, a three to two victory. Uh, for the Huskies, something that they really did not want to drop this game. St. No. Thomas has yet to win a game in conference play. Uh, 35-27 shots going to the Tommies in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, faceoffs, 63.3% at 31 for 49 for the Huskies. No goal on their lone power play, and they were a perfect 4-4 on the kill. Sonia Hola stopping 33 of 35 for a 9-4-3. Dobchuk on the other side of it, an 8-8-9, that extra goal, obviously the difference maker in that one. Saturday, both Huskies teams finishing with a 6-3 victory overall. It was a power play goal to get us started. Clara Himmler over from Grace Wolf, and then the Tommies. Goal in the first, goal to start the second period. Tommies were up 2-1 to one before you need a Newland at the 7-24 mark. Uh, got them back even. Olivia Savar and Grace Wolf assists to make it 2-2. Two to two. Tommies leading for a stretch again in period number 2, 3-2. to two. And then St. Cloud responded with two markers at the end of period number 2, including the second one being shorthanded. Her second of the night, Clara Himmlerova unassisted. Goal before that was Olivia Savar for Menina Newland. And then Clara Himmlerova completing the hat trick, a power play marker, the 12.08 mark of period number three from Menina Newland and Grace Wolf. And Ross Dale assisting on Emma Gentry's goal with just under two minutes to play to make it six Ross to three. Here the P announcer from Ross oh. Dale. That's Dale oh. Ross. <laughs> Sorry, Dale Ross. Sorry, I was looking at that. You did the, that earlier in the men's side too. You said Jackson, you said Blake Jackson. It was Jackson Blake. Jackson Blake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's all right. Uh, words. I, I wish they would just list the the names normally. You know what I mean? Yeah, but this is hockey. Nothing's normal about this. Yeah. Know? Like, for example, the, the score bar that we looked at for the men's game on Saturday was from College Hockey News because the one from Sidearm and hadn't well, been posted the portal yet. hadn't been posted yet. So 
I should probably pick college hockey news for the men's one. They're a lot easier easier to read. But anyway, uh, with that being said, uh, handy shot margin, 38-16 in favor of St. Cloud State. That I can tell you. Um, 33 for 55 for a 60% faceoff percentage. The draw, the circle has been getting much better for this women's team uh, in the past month, uh, winning faceoffs, as as for the men's side as well, too. Two for four on the power play. Three for three on the kill, perfect on special teams. Uh, 13 of 16 saves uh, for JoJo Choback and 813. Um, Mar on the other side had an 842, really small sample size, hard to really kind of falter, but you'd like maybe another save in there, I guess. Probably. Uh, so this team uh, is now in a home spot. They are in the fourth spot in the WCHA standings. How about that, huh? Yeah, at six and eight, 19 points for them. Uh, 11 and eight overall, too. Yeah, uh, Ohio State, head of the pack, 41 points, 13-2-1. Geez, they're good. Uh, Minnesota, 11-1-2, uh, 35 points for them. Wisconsin, 10-1-1 for 31 points. Duluth right behind at 18, uh, so one point behind the Huskies at fifth. Two points behind is Mankato at 16. Bemidji State at three. St. Thomas has not won in 12 games. I would be remiss to realize, Nick, before I'm about to cut you off here, I didn't actually recap the rest of the scores around the WCHA real quickly. Yeah, Ohio, sure. Ohio State uh, split with Duluth. 2-1 to one victory for the Buckeyes in night number one. Duluth 5-4 overtime victory last night. Wisconsin 13-1 on Friday night against Bemidji. And then a 4-1 to one victory in night number two. Mankato home and home against the Gophers. Gophers taking both by a combined score of 10-1 to one over the weekend. Nick, this women's team did what they had to do against St. Thomas to stay pat here. They did, and uh, this weekend also sort of just talk about markers. So we're not even halfway through the season yet. By winning on Friday, they eclipsed both their overall wins record and their conference wins from all of last season. They were 9-23-3 overall last year, 4-20-3 in conference play. So you talk about the improvement already um, from this squad and what um, Idolski has done. Um, they had a good interview. Husky Productions, again, uh, did a fantastic interview with Idolski um, at, at parts of the intermission uh, for this weekend series against North Dakota on the men's side. And he deserves all the recognition he's getting. Uh, yeah. Just some of the metrics that we're seeing. And again, the record's already surpassing, and we still got half of a season left to play. Um, did, so I just wanted to point that out. Did we not talk about that, too? As we said, the benchmark for this team was certainly a home spot, but fourth or fifth and eclipsing their records from previous eras basically yeah um we talked about that benchmark it's december 4th Nick. yeah december 4th yeah this like if you're a saint cloud hockey fan and especially with the wild being as up and down as they are if you're a saint cloud huskies fan get to the herbrooks national hockey center and watch these teams play like these this it's a very exciting time to be a college hockey fan in the granite city uh you know this women's team really is making a push and making a case to have home ice moving into the wcha playoffs it's it's been a long time since we've looked at this team and said they should win or have a very good chance in their first round matchup in the playoffs. Yeah, and uh, they're going to have a tough test again against the Gophers this upcoming weekend to try to stay in that fourth spot, right? It's, yep. it's, it's a cluttered uh, midway through. You're 19, 17, 16 um, there. So you got three teams vying for that last home Nin- ice spot. N- 19, 18, 16, actually. Excuse me. 19, yeah. 18, 16. Yeah. Um, so, oh, I should clarify that. So if you're looking at the WCHA website, for whatever reason, Duluth's record or their 
point breakup is wrong compared to what their records are. They're they're actually sitting, I believe, behind Mankato by a point right now. They actually should be in fifth at six six and zero at eighteen points because they had four overtime finishes. They're two and two in OT, so that kind of gives them their discrepancy there. Um, if I'm doing the math right, so kind of be wary of that when you're looking at the WCHA website. I try to do the math as best I can. As listeners of the show know, math is not my thing. No, <laughs> um, but yeah, like you said, if they can, if they can split against the Gophers and. Again, yeah. like we talked about before, there's optimism here. Well, I think normally yeah. last year, right? It was like, okay, can they steal one? Could they play the right way? Could could miss, Could they catch them on an off night? Yeah. No head to head. They've already beat them once, and the two games before then, down at Ritter Arena, they were close games. Yeah. Um, so they're competitive, and well, if we, you can keep in that four spot, as you mentioned, you yeah. stay away from that top three, which are the juggernauts. That's Wisconsin, Ohio State, and the Gophers. Well, we talked about it too, you know, kind of seeing how the trends year to year go. Bemidji mm-hmm. State is really the St. Cloud State of old this year, right? They're a team that mm-hmm. they have one win. They can't really find any traction. That's where St. Cloud was the past couple of years. They were where Bemidji yeah. State is at, at seventh place right now. Now they put themselves in that mix. They put themselves in the in the middle of the pack, the midfield, if you want to use Formula One terms. But sure. they're, they're atop the midfield right now, right? And that's exactly where you want to be in – arguably the best conference in women's hockey. So like you mentioned, it is going to be a home and home. So the Huskies are in Minnesota Friday and then a 3 p.m. start at home at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center on Saturday against the Minnesota Golden Gophers for this women's team. Other games going on, it will be St. Thomas traveling up to Duluth Friday, Saturday, and Wisconsin traveling to Mankato this upcoming weekend. So in fact, I believe, yep, this is the last action that St. Cloud will have on the women's side until January 6th or January 1st. It's that East-West showcase. Yeah. Yep. So so make sure that you uh, – yeah, I believe it's January 6th is the next that they that they and, play. Yeah, yep, yeah, it is. New Hampshire and then Merrimack um, so, Friday, Saturday. Yeah. So, again, a chance. If you can at least split this weekend, great momentum and heading into the holiday yeah. week. Got to make sure you're taking care of your body and you're ready to rock and roll. That's a big – stretch of time off uh, yep. for this women's team, basically a month, a little less than a month to make sure that you are ready to go for the second half of the season. Minnesota wild here. Let's get to them very quickly here. 12, nine and two on the season, 26 points for them. They are one point out of third in the central and they are actually in the second wild card spot right now. How about a, that? Huh? A plus three goal differential their past week. Of course, they've won five of their last six. Their only loss coming against Toronto uh, the week previous. Yep. Beating Arizona four to three, Edmonton five to three, Anaheim five to four in a shootout. They have Dallas right after recording for us here on Sunday mm-hmm. at two o'clock. They then they travel to Calgary on Wednesday, Edmonton on Friday, Vancouver on Saturday before coming back home against Edmonton the following Tuesday. That's a nasty little road trip. It is a nasty road trip. Dallas, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver. That's a and all playoff seeding implications um, on yep. those matchups too. Yeah, six oh, three and huge. six three and one in their last ten are the Minnesota Wild. We talked about this team. I still don't think they're a well-oiled machine. I think that they they beat some opponents they should have beaten. I think Edmonton was the only one that, that should have given them fits. Um, the Anaheim game was a bit sketchy. Uh, you know, they mm-hmm. outplayed that team and kind of gave up some bounces, almost dropping that game against Arizona. I'm not sold on this team yet, but they're having a good stretch of games here. They're keeping themselves in contention. We. Might be destined for another first round, barely sneak into the playoffs, have a middle of the order draft pick. Yeah, year. That's, that's what it sounds like. Um, um, I don't know. 
Um, I, I think at the end of the day where this gets a little bit crazy, right. Is, um, yeah. You know, can they can they string together a stretch like this more often than not? Yeah. Um, Which last year the answer was a resounding yes. Resounding yes, they could. Um, it's amazing how much Ryan Hartman's at- absence has had an effect on the roster. Well, we've got um, Ryan Reeves now. Ryan Reeves, I know, right? <laughs> um, Jonas Brodine being absent too. Um, yeah. Having to weather that storm again. You, I think he's he's still one to me the one of the most underrated defensemen in the entire game. Yeah. I really Al- do feel that way. Alex Goligoski has impressed me as of late, though. Um, yeah. You know, he's been someone that I think has filled the void very well. I, Kalen Addison's a stud, dude. What a, what a steal the Minnesota Wild got out of that. I believe Jason Zucker trade. Uh, yeah. Geez, he's a good hockey player. Um, he's a good hockey player. Yeah, I wanted to see Ryan Reeves. I wanted to see his last splits. He was even against Anaheim, had thirteen shifts. Was dash one against Edmonton, had fifteen shifts, and of course, uh, had a point against Anaheim as well, obviously. And then uh, was plus one against Arizona. So I mean, he's been as a as a fourth line guy. He's been doing his job. He doesn't really generate a whole lot of offense, but I mean, he's been serviceable. Yeah. You know, so, you know, and at, and that's at the end of it. That's what they've wanted from him. At, at and that's it, really. I mean, yeah. I I think if you're really wanting to look at, you know, what's really the expectation. Yeah, he's done what he's done. What you've asked him to do, at the end of it. Um, yeah, and we talk about guys, right? You know, everyone's like, oh, can't the Wild go out and just get a top six forward? Well, the Wild are kind of in this spot where they're handcuffed by the cap and they're trying to really think about how they're preparing for their future because really the goal for this team is 2025. It's getting them it really set is, up yeah. for that that cap space to make sure that they're in a great position to know where their core is, what pieces they're missing because they're going to be going shopping uh, yes, they will be that year. So uh, it's going to be a Christmas bonanza here. I wanted to pull up the stats here just to kind of take a look at where we're at as far as players. This might shock you, Nick, but Kirill Kaprizov is leading the team in points. Shocker. Um, how about this? The next closest is Matt Zuccarello at 23 points in 23 games. How many points? Do you know how many points Kirill Kaprizov has in the same number of games? Ooh. His next shot will be his 100th shot of the season, by the way. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I'm not sure. He's got 31 points in 23 games. For those, for those who are wondering, uh, let's do math because Noah, Noah loves math. That's a 1.35 point per game average, 15 goals, 16 assists. And can you believe people wanted to trade this kid because of a contract dispute? Anyway, uh, yeah. Erickson Eck in third. Eric Sinek has had a really good resurgence as of late yes, 21 has. points in 23 games. Matt Boldy petered off a little bit, but nine goals, nine assists for 18 points. Kalen Addison sits fifth on the team with 13 points. The only other player in double digits in that category. Kaprizov's shooting percentage is 15.2%. Uh, Zuccarello is 13%. Matt Boldy is 14%. Sam Steele's shooting percentage is 19.2%. <laughs> so... Uh, just just average, right? Yeah, so certainly is very selective. Philip Gustafson uh, is 4-4 four and four in eight games. A 2.75 and a 9.09 save percentage has been very serviceable as what you would quote as a backup. Mm-hmm. Marc-Andre Fleury an 8.98 and a 2.92 goals against. Those first couple games are going to continue to haunt him, I think. But... Uh, with that being said, Nick, this Minnesota Wild team, it's kind of like the college hockey world. Do we know? <laughs> I don't know that we know. And yeah. that's what's weird, right, is that this time last year we knew. 
you know, we, we knew what this wild team was because they were consistent. Now, the one thing that they were consistent on that we were playing with fire was the amount of times they had to come back from games and were able to pull it off. Remember? Yeah. Um, how many times they got themselves in that situation. It was good to see if they could pull it off, but it was one of those, you know, sort of double-edged sword kind of things where you're like, okay, it's good they're doing this, but we can't keep making this a habit, which they kind of did. Um, yeah. No worse for wear. It still ended up resulting in a, a, a first-round playoff exit. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think I'd be curious to see what happens when Ryan Hartman comes back. It sounds like he started skating on his own. I yeah. still feel like he is not coming back till at least January 2023. I think that's probably the yeah. earliest you could expect him back. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying the year. <laughs> math has not been your strong suit, so I got to clarify. It has it. I can do no. I You know, the only math apparently, right? Because you like to, you know, last first. So Yeah, I, I guess can. so. I can do drug calculations, which is both a good thing and also probably something I shouldn't air Never, publicly on this show. If the ambulance show. is taking me to your hospital, I'm, I'm asking them to divert. I don't care. So, uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, oh, that's um, brutal. <laughs> I know, um, <laughs> which means I might die in transit, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> better than this fate, better than this. Um, because you least, may, at least have my this, dignity. This is this is in poor taste, and I don't mean this in any more than Nick and I being friends. But could you imagine the last face you see looking up at is me smiling at you? Oof. Uh, I, I, I have. A different, you know, vision of what that looks like, and your face is not in that. So, <laughs> to, to be fair, it is nothing to do with you. It's more of like, you know, I'd rather be on a, shall we say, a laid back chair, you know, watching the beach in ninety degree weather, and that, you know, with some kind of drink in my hand. That's as as as, as, I, as I'm sprinting down the beach, and you're like, you got to be kidding me, like. <laughs> You're, you're like Lloyd from Dumb and Dumber. It's like, hold that plane. <laughs> you know, hoping like you just run off the dock because you think I'm like all the way out on the pier and I'm really in the beach like idiot. Well, oh, from all, Samsonite. I was well, from all my jail time, somebody told me to go to, to Zawat Neho and I just figured you'd be down oh. there with a boat somewhere. Right. So I, you mean that's fair. So. <laughs> But nonetheless, uh, the Minnesota, the Minnesota Wild. We don't know. Uh, this show is falling into disarray. But what about college hockey logos? Are they in disarray? Are there good ones? Are there bad ones? Uh, who's to say? Uh, we'll head on to our extra ice session. And welcome into the extra ice session, Noah Grant, alongside Nick Max. And uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I I I keep my patience alive. That's the goal. Uh, if you just miss the tail end of the main portion of the show, um, uh, depending on how much they pay me, right? Kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, people. Uh, this is nursing humor at its finest. Uh, college hockey logos, though. Uh, it, we're talking about uh, the top five best for sure. I also threw my top five worst. Um, as is no surprise, in each category, I cheated on at least one of my five. Because um, you were shocked, you cheated yeah, at something. No way. Yeah, actually, I cheated at two of my top five for the best ones. Oh. I did use college hockey news and use the main logos for each team. I figured that was the easiest way to follow. So, no secondary logos. No, like the Huskies had their throwback jerseys last year. None of that. Nothing crazy. The only time I would admit any sort of alternate is if they would, you know, use it regularly. But really, I thought just the main team logos. Let's talk about them a little bit here. Um, do you have a top five worst? Um, I do because I sat there last night. It wasn't part of the equation. I just got bored and kind of put it together. The Huskies of St. Cloud are in neither of these groups. I'm going to throw that out there right now. They're, That's good. You know, they're. I don't know if I have a top five worst, but I could probably off the top of my head 
list some yeah. that I think I don't like. Yeah. Um, let's do see. we do we want to start? I'll start with. Do we want to go pick by pick, or do we want to go person by person? How do person you want to do person? That's probably okay. more efficient. Well, my top five worst. Uh, number five, North Dakota. Shocker. Right out of the gate, uh, the postal stamp man. I, you know, and maybe it's just because of the fact that we knew what was, regardless of okay, regardless of what you thought the the connotation of the logo was in the end. Mm-hmm. It was a cool logo. It was really cool. Yep. Um, and North Dakota was kind of between a rock and a hard place. And I just, it kind of reminds me the same as the Washington Commanders, right? It just yeah. didn't really hit home or technically Western Michigan's new logo. They're still the Bronco technically, but really they're that new W thing. Yeah. You know, it's just it like, like eh. just kind of a step backwards. Paid, paid the intern to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number four for me, Ferris State. Uh, Interesting. Their bulldog, and here's the thing: I don't think Duluth bulldog is much better, but I think Fair State. You look at that bulldog; it's like a slobbering mess. Like it looks like a <laughs> like a like a rabid whatever type thing that just it looks kind of cartoonish. I think Duluth's issue for theirs, and I didn't put them in the top five, but Duluth kind of like the jowls on the on the dog are so pronounced. It makes me think I'm looking at an old guy, honestly, in dog form. That's kind of what it makes me think of. Yeah. If you look at Ferris state, it's just like, it's supposed to be like this angry, rabid, you know, bulldog type thing, but it looks more cartoony than a like Tom and Jerry esque. I think, um, number three, uh, another animal that we're going to put in here. One of the newer teams in college hockey, Lindenwood, the lions. Uh, it kind of looks like a, like, a like a Lion King off-brand type thing, like the Walmart version of the Lion King kind of thing. Um, the Fanatics brand, not the Adidas, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like I said, like I said, I believe people work very, very hard. And some of these logos, like we're going to get to a lot of the Ivy League schools here in just a second. Some yeah. of these logos have a lot of hist- hit history, and that's okay. So number two, the worst of the letter block crew. <laughs> Basically, Dartmouth, Canisius, Union, Yale, Sacred Heart, maybe even throw Miami in there as a – Pseudo pick like yeah. all all the block letters just don't really. Yeah, Mercyhurst. I like Mercyhurst because it actually says Mercyhurst at least, but like, yeah, I mean they're they're not. They just they don't do anything. They're not, you know, you, you're not you didn't put anything with the letter. Yale has the bulldog, but the bulldog looks just like an angry old man again. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, uh, my my worst pick though uh, is actually a letter. It's not a block letter per se. Princeton. Yeah, the uh, the uh, the tiger stripes and the yeah. That, to me, that's that's a tough logo. Uh, anything with a letter, you gotta pair something with it, right? Like some letters look good. Like Air Force is very iconic to Air Force. Bentley yep. has a crest behind it, right? I yep. uh, one of my one of my top ones that I have in my top five. I uh, which it's in the number five spot. Cornell, for example, they have the bear that's sweeping around. Like it looks really mm-hmm. nice, you know. So you got to do something with the letters, and I get it. The historical school like Dartmouth has had that letter for ages, ages. right? Uh, but yeah. That's that's my top five worst, and that's you know nothing to say against the programs or anything. And I'm sure somebody worked very hard on the logos, but just kind of a, a, a meh for me, you know. What do you got? You know, my picks are not very far off from yours um, as far as the worst. So I'm going to go with my worst. How about this? Um, 
and it's it's tough right because it's like yeah do you have any well do you have any similarities is north dakota in there yes or no it is just in terms of the similar where it's like they tried to make a transition and it is i don't i don't hate it hate it personally but in terms of again the whole story it's eh, yes you know not great ferris state yes or no uh i'm not as sold okay sold on how bad ferris state is it's still not great but I'm, i'm not as bad on it yeah again my my biggest things are like the single letters like brown colgate princeton dartmouth right and i get there's history there yeah um same with like you could even go Minnesota and Michigan and that's you know that same thing, but it's yeah. also like it's it's simple, right? I don't it's, know. It's it's well, it's hard too because if you're a school, especially for us, if you're an out east school, it's harder for us. Maybe it's different for someone when you're asking in Massachusetts. For us, Michigan is so iconic. Minnesota is still so, so iconic. iconic. Yeah. Ohio State has the Ohio State word branding on top of the logo, so you know like. Correct. Some of them are different. If you think about St. Cloud's logo, St. Cloud's logo is basically a ripoff of the Montreal Canadiens logo, is, right? You yep. know, but at the same time, I think it obviously has some sort of affinity. So again, this is our personal bias. Right. So like, so the so my number one worst that just it's Stonehill. Really? Yeah, I actually like it. I, I'm not a huge fan of it. Yeah, uh, that, that I don't was know, you, you, you talk about being cartoonish. Um, the the wings on the ass like i don't know it just maybe and maybe just me because i'm like hmm, i see 80s in that and that's <laughs> yeah it's not, maybe that's what it is like i don't know i just i'm not a huge fan of the sweeping wing on the ass you know not, it's crazy it's style. that almost made it into my top five best funny isn't that crazy that's yeah because um, uh, i feel like it would look good on a jersey and I, I was trying to think about that too what would look good on a jersey like you think about dartmouth right mm-hmm. it's a it's a hollowed out letter on a jersey right yeah. you know so um although it would look good on the greens more than the whites obviously but uh yeah nonetheless is, is there anybody else like lindenwood is lindenwood in there not in there it's in you know lindenwood I, again not great um but again you know they were essentially a d2 school that's been transitioning to d1 yeah so i get it um so i can't go too hard on them even yeah. though yeah it's it's still in the conversation i didn't know where to put long island uh i like their logo but at the same time it's like it's i like also, long island it like it it makes me think of like one of those like create a team logos that you would have if you were like playing nba 2k like it doesn't you feel know what very, it is it doesn't I feel hockey ass it's you the know? i think it's the color palette honestly yeah um even because here I will give you Long Island's my number five best. Okay, I actually like yeah. the logo. I'm with you though. The one thing that probably takes it down a notch is 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 the color palette. If it had a different yeah. color palette, I think it would look nasty. Yeah. Um, so Sir. that's just that. So it's in my it's it's number five for a reason because I love the structure of it. But if they had a different coloring options, like I think if they went darker, yeah. Um, then I like especially with the blue, I think it would look really good. Yeah. Well, let's do our top five best. I'm you gonna go, start. You start. Yep. Number fives. Uh, the anything related to bears that were pulled off successfully. What I mean by that, Maine. Yep. The Alaskan Anooks. I like that logo. That's a letter with a polar bear that looks really nice. Yep. Um, and then Cornell, that sweeping bear that's coming around. That that looks good. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, number four for me. Oh, Huskies fans, I'm sorry. Um, AIC. Yeah. I love that logo. It's a unique nice. logo. It's very definitive. Like you look at it, you know that it's the yellow jackets right away. It's creative. It's it kind of reminds me of the skating 
Canuck, the skating lumberjack for Vancouver a little bit where it's got that uniqueness to it. That's what I feel like a college hockey logo should be where it's not too outrageous, but you have some personality. You have some, some flair to it. It's a fighting yellow jacket on skates. How crazy is that? You know, uh, number three for me, anything successful involving a cat or a tiger. Uh, so Vermont, uh, I don't like Quinnipiacs. Really? I don't like Quinnipiacs. I don't like Colorado college. Um, Vermont, UNH, NMU, and RIT. And I would say RIT probably has the best one because it has the nice block letters RIT and then with the, the tiger underneath. I like yep. that. Vermont's a close second. UNH and NMU are kind of the same. Cor- uh, Quinnipiac isn't bad. Like I wouldn't put it in the bad category, but Circle logos historically don't do all that well. Like you have to be sure. really really positive about that like i think a good circle logo from years past was maybe the norfolk admirals because mm-hmm. from a couple years ago because you had the branding that was synonymous with ships and circles are a very you know portholes and that sort of thing like yeah yeah uh so i think that it works uh works in that instance but quinnipiac was not one of my best of the cats so to speak sure um number two for me Huskies fans are really going to be upset with this because we don't have a logo oh, like boy. this it is a husky um, and it is Northeastern. Yep. Yep. I like the, the Husky style there. Um, I do too. C- comparative to uh, other places like Michigan Tech, which doesn't have a bad logo, but it's kind of uh, that modernized weird oval thing for Michigan Tech where it it looks cool, but it doesn't fit the jersey. a hockey jersey. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, number one for me, I wonder if Ooh. you can guess this one. Do you know any idea? Is it, uh, I think I know what it is, Alaska Anchorage. It is Alaska Anchorage. Yep. That's That Seawolves logo is unreal. Uh, my girlfriend's up there in Anchorage right now. She went actually to that game where Western Michigan lost uh, to the Seawolves and picked me up a sweatshirt. And, of course, I have a jersey hanging up somewhere here in the office as well, too, that was on previous episodes way back in, like, 2020. Uh, of course, former uh, former head coach Dave Shyak now with – Mm-hmm. St. Cloud as well, too. Uh, the Brandon Manitoba guy. So we actually grew up like an hour from each other. But uh, although he was maybe a little before my time. But yeah, that Seawolves logo for me, I, you can't beat it. And when I heard that Anchorage was potentially not going to have a college hockey team, certainly a loss as a program and history and that sort of thing. But would have been the loss of the best logo in college hockey, hands down. Sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I say sure because uh, let's go with my top five. Now, I didn't you know, tiptoe on the line with going, oh, bears and this. I went with five only, right? So uh, long. What are, you, was, what, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that you did more than five. And come on. I know math is not your strong suit, but come on, man. Um, <laughs> so five at Long Island, just because I, I like the logo. I like the sharks. I think it's unique. Um, I've always been a fan of that. Again, if you change the color palette to me, it might be a top three. Yeah. Um, I'm with you with Northeastern at number four. Um, I've, I really like that. That. I don't know if we, what you would call it. Just it's a really nice logo a, of the Husky from yeah, Northeastern. It's, it's like a prominent, proud. It is Husky, and really, if you took St. Cloud's retro Husky from last year, would definitely make the top five. That that mm-hmm. skating Husky was fantastic. It was um, number three. I like Niagara. I I do like Niagara's uh, logo with the. Uh, is that a Raven? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that Raven looks good. Are they a ra- Raven or a Falcon? Let me look. Is it a Falcon are. or is it a Raven? I can't. Re- I can never. I always see it and I'm like, oh, it's it's that it's that bird. Um, yeah, it's that bird. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which which is sad because my my dad was a wildlife biologist um, 
for so 34 you should know years. This. What the hell, man? Niagara College mascot. Uh, it is. Oh, it is a nitro. What the hell is that? <laughs> uh, the Purple Eagles, technically. Their mascot okay. is nitro, but they're the Purple Eagles, I guess. Okay. Um, Not as cool as the Horn Frogs, but. Right. Number two, um, I always liked BC's logo, Boston College, with the okay. eagle and the BC. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know. I've always thought that looked good with them in the color packet. Um, yeah. Number one, I'm with you. I like the Seawolves. I like yeah, Alaska Anchorage. So sad. Um, and again, it's, 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 it's not that I'm trying to agree with you because I actually try to do everything in my power not to agree with you. Um, it's just kind of how I do things. But yeah. it, when you look at the entire logo, composite with college hockey right there's a lot of history with some of those schools you talk about the ivy league schools there's a lot of like meh you know like where the logo is okay it, it gets by but it's not like popping up the page yeah when you see alaska anchorage it's let me unique. grab it i'm gonna grab it um you know it's it's just one of those <laughs> logos that has a the history it's got uniqueness to it and it, it's got some heritage to it too with just the way it's designed it has that is it is it native technically to I think there is a native influence into their into the logo. Am I not correct on that? I think it is. Yeah, it's just yeah. It's very, very cool. Um, you know, it, and it's and it's simplistic, but it just captures the essence of what the culture is there, right? Yes. Yeah, it's just so for those on the YouTube page, this is a <laughs> this is my best. That's why his, this is why his microphone also it's muffled. He was holding the jersey in front yeah. of his face. So it's my, it's my perfect advantage. time to catch the YouTube. You get you get to see him without seeing him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Suddenly our viewership increases massively, right? Um, but that's the thing is is that you when when you're designing a logo, it's a hard thing to do. It's a difficult yep. thing to do color palette wise. Now I want to ask you this question. Uh, speaking of St. Cloud and their logos, because I like St. Cloud's logo. It's clean. It's crisp. You know, it's mm -hmm. definitely a top ten or top twelve for me for sure. Where does the old St. Cloud State Huskies logo rank? The actual Husky with the St. Cloud collar. Where does it's it rank? It's up there. It's in my top ten. Um, I'm not a fan of the new secondary logo. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, agree. I'm not either. I think a lot of our listeners and our, our viewers would be on that same page. Yeah, certain certainly would agree. I thought the interesting one we had the old retro husky from uh, not the the throwbacks from last year, but the other retros where it was the actual husky head too. Those were yep. kind of unique and you know gave a real seventies eighties vibe yeah, to it. Right? Was. Yep. Yeah, it was super cool. But uh, we'd love to know what you think. Tweet us at Warming House Dan what you think your favorite college hockey logo is or what you think your worst one is. I got a feeling we might get at least one or two St. Cloud logos in our inbox. Um, I'm sure, but uh, maybe from some North Dakota fans. But, you know, it, it's a it's a difficult thing to try to figure out, you know, what is the best and what is the worst. I certainly think there are some alternate logos or unique jersey designs that are cool. In fact, I would say back in the day i would throw the old colorado college tiger logo awesome. yeah yeah you know at least in the top seven or eight for sure uh so but yeah kind of an interesting little discussion thought we'd have a little bit of fun with it as we cruise into holiday season so to speak but yes the St. Cloud State Huskies, whatever logo they're wearing they're traveling on the road to miami uh on friday december 9th women's hockey on the road friday at home saturday on december 10th against minnesota on that saturday they'll be at home the wild have dallas 
right away this afternoon of recording. Calgary on Wednesday, Edmonton Friday, Vancouver Saturday for that road trip swing before coming back home the following Tuesday. For us, we will come back with episode number 141. That will do it for this one. For Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den. Timer come in, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perks! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL! Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.